There is nothing wrong with your screen. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. We can roll the image, make it flutter. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the remainder of this video, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the breakdown and review of The Outer Limits. Please subscribe. Welcome back, everybody, to our ongoing review of the incredible and groundbreaking science fiction series, The Outer Limits. Today, we're going to be looking at the episode called The Man Who Was Never Born, which was originally aired on October 28th, 1963. Now, this episode features the amazing acting talents of Martin Landau and Shirley Knight, who both put in incredibly dramatic and at times sad performances. Now, as noted by many of you with the last episode, this show had a tendency to draw a lot of inspiration from classic stories and legends and things that had been told many times before. And this episode is no exception. The writer of this episode, Anthony Lawrence, stated that he was really drawn to the idea of writing a story that was both futuristic but also romantic and kind of tragic too. And he wanted to draw a lot of inspiration from Beauty and the Beast. And indeed, this story shares a lot of similarities to other stories out there, such as the movie 12 Monkeys, which came out years later. And reportedly, 12 Monkeys was based on another similar story uh, that came out in the early 1960s that was in a French film. And The Outer Limits even copied itself when it came back out in the 1990s as they did another episode that greatly resembled this episode we're talking about today. But we're going to be talking about that more in the future. And speaking of the future, the theme of this episode is talking about a doomed future for the planet, uh, basically due to the mistakes and folly of the scientists from the past. But before we get into all of that, we get another cold open preview scene, just like we've seen in the last episode. This episode starts out with a beautiful young girl hanging out in the grass, uh, minding her own business, when suddenly we see some kind of deformed humanoid-like creature lurking around in the bushes looking at her unsuspectingly she has no idea he's there and once again it's giving us that whole setup of what kind of horrors are we going to see later and what kind of dread are we going to be dealing with and as a side note, I also had to get a huge kick out of the soundtrack music. Now, this show has great music all throughout the series, but I did notice that the music that they were playing here, the little motif that's going on over and over again, was borrowed years later by the uh, progressive metal band Voivod. I'm a big fan, and I noticed it right away, and I just got a huge kick out of it. They also did an album called The Outer Limits, so it's no surprise that they would steal some riffs from the soundtrack of the show. So anyhow, the episode starts out properly when we see astronaut Joseph Reardon traveling through space. It looks like he's traveling towards some planet and we see that he's in distress. He's going through some kind of weird anomaly that's happening that's causing he and the ship to act very strangely. That seems to pass and he's able to land on the planet, but unfortunately when he gets there, he finds it to be just a desolate wasteland devoid of pretty much any kind of life or civilization anymore. 
Though before long, he does encounter a humanoid creature there whose name turns out to be Andro. Now, Andro is played by Martin Landau, and we come to find out he's one of the last remaining people on this planet. What planet is this? Well, this planet is none other than planet Earth. And it turns out that anomaly that happened was Reardon went through some sort of time warp that brought him into the future to the year 2148. Andro explains to Reardon that the planet had been destroyed by some accidental viruses and things that were unleashed on planet Earth many years before by a scientist that ended up causing the human race to slowly die out and pretty much all life on the planet to become completely void. And Andro, sadly, is one of the last afflicted humans left alive. Before long, Andro and Reardon come to the realization that if they took his ship and flew back through the time portal, then maybe they could go back in time and attempt to stop this scientist from unleashing havoc on the human race. Now, this scientist's name, it turns out, is Bertram Cabot Jr. And so now they have somebody they know they can go after and hopefully one way or another, they can stop him and maybe save the future of all mankind. They set off in the ship and go back through the time portal, but unfortunately we find out that going through the time portal more than once is far too much for Reardon to deal with, and as such he ends up dying. But before Reardon dies, he tells Andro, look, you have to do whatever it is necessary to stop this all from happening, even if it means you have to kill Cabot Jr. And before we know it, Reardon has disappeared from existence. Ultimately, Andro and the ship do land back on Earth sometime in the past. He's in the middle of a field somewhere and he ventures out. And here we get to see the full cold open scene play out. And we see that he was actually the creepy looking humanoid guy in the forest looking at the girl on the grass. Well, we see that she actually does get an eyeful of him and she screams and runs away. Now, luckily for Andro, he has the ability to alter his appearance so that he appears normal to other people using some sort of hypnotic suggestion. Before long, he wanders into town and arrives at the boarding house of Mrs. McCluskey. While they're inquiring about a place to stay, he also runs into a young girl named Noelle Anderson. As it turns out, this is the same young girl that he just scared in the forest earlier, but she doesn't recognize him because he looks normal now. And after talking to Noelle and Mrs. McCluskey for a while, he realizes that they made a grave error by sending him too far back into the past because Noelle, as it turns out, is the eventual mother of Cabot Jr., the scientist they were seeking out. And we find out that Noelle is waiting at this house for her fiance to show up, Bertram Cabot Sr. Once he finishes his military service, they're to be wed right away. At this point, Andrew realizes that what he needs to do is stop Noelle and Cabot Sr. from getting married in the hopes that they'll never procreate and then the scientist will never be born. In the meantime, things almost go completely sideways when Miss McCluskey walks into Andrew Andrew's room, catching him unaware, and she sees his true horrible appearance. Well, she ends up fainting, and when she wakes up, he convinces her that she must have just hallucinated, or maybe it was shadows or something, and for now, everything is okay. Next thing we see, Cabot Sr. is arriving to marry Noel, and Andrew gets to meet him properly. Now, Andrew has introduced himself to everybody as being a foreign scientist who's interested in Cabot Sr. for scientific purposes. 
Andrew attempts to break them up and convince the couple not to marry by vaguely and frantically trying to explain to them that the future of mankind depends on it, but he's not really explaining it to them. And needless to say, it's not convincing anybody. And before long, Cabot Sr., not only is he not convinced, but he kind of wants Andro to just stay away from them. Now, this is made even more difficult by the fact that Andro is gradually falling in love with Noel himself, making an already confusing situation just that much more difficult. Soon, we see the wedding is taking place in the house and Andro comes down the stairs with the revolver that he got from Reardon. He points the gun at Cabot Sr. and he contemplates assassinating him, but he hesitates. Unfortunately, in that hesitation, he is noticed by all the wedding attendees and they freak out and tackle him. Not only are they freaking out because he was trying to shoot the groom, but also they see him in his natural state of being with his hideously deformed face. And Andro is able to wrestle himself away and he runs away out the door. Interestingly enough, Noelle runs out after him in her full wedding gown and everything. She catches up to him and explains to him that she's fallen in love with him too and realizes that she's not actually in love with Cabot Sr. and she wants to go wherever Andro's gonna go. Now he at first is completely blown away by this and he can't understand why she would want to do this, especially when she saw what he looked like. And she seems to either play dumb or just maybe she didn't actually see him. Maybe her love and affection towards him just made her blind to his deformity. And it's at this point we get to see a really awesome scene with some really cool use of photography and lighting where Andro fully explains at last what his mission is so that Noelle will understand. Noelle does seem to understand, but not only does she understand, it doesn't actually drive her away. She comes to the conclusion that, well, if I'm not meant to have this child, then the only way to really prevent that is I should be with you and come with you into the future. Figuring that way we stop Cabot Jr. from ever being born, he'll never create this virus, the human race will not be doomed, and she can go and live in a happy future with Andro. They've barely come to agreement on this when they realize they have to hightail it back to Andro's ship because Cabot Sr. and his buddies are chasing after them, firing at them with shotguns. Nobody ends up getting shot and they do make it safely on board the ship and they take off. And in true Outer Limits fashion, just when you think that every everything is over and this is going to be a happy ending, we learn that that is not the case. So as Noel and Andro are going through the time portal, all of a sudden we see Andro is having some sort of crisis and he realizes that just like with Reardon, you cannot go through the time portal twice without suffering the consequences. What this means is they did succeed in making sure that the future was changed and that Cabot Jr. was not born. And hopefully everything is going to be much different in the future, but it also means that Andro was never born. And so he gradually starts to fade from existence truly becoming the man who was never born. And this is particularly sad for poor Noel, who is now faced to be in some unknown future 
all by herself. We see her weeping in the darkness as the camera fades, and that's the end of the episode. And that was the episode, The Man Who Was Never Born. And, you know, while this episode didn't quite have all the creepiness and suspense and horror that a lot of other episodes in this series does, I thought this was a really good one. It's setting up sort of like a doomed romance kind of tale. I sort of like those kind of stories, and I thought they did a really good job with this one. Plus, I always enjoy those stories that have to deal with time travel and thinking you're going to fix everything and finding out that time travel is not really all that it's cracked up to be. And while I'm sure there's some people that feel that Noelle's quick turnaround from being all happy about marrying Cabot Sr. to suddenly almost overnight falling in love with Andro and saying she never loved Cabot at all and all this stuff seems a little bit abrupt and everything, I think that Shirley Knight did a really good job of putting the whole thing across and she did a great acting job altogether. And it is a nice romantic notion that she was just so smitten with Andro that she was able to just look past his so-called ugliness. Martin Landau is always turns in a masterful performance. And the cinematography is really creative and effective, especially in the way they used angles and lighting in certain scenes to get across the vibe and seriousness of certain moments. All in all, it's a really good episode, and if you're one of those people that likes those doomed romantic kind of sci-fi tales, then this one is for you. So my question is, did you see this one back in the day? Did you see it during reruns in the 70s or 80s or sometime? Did you like this one, or was it a little bit too soft and not scary and intense enough for you? Make sure you let us know in the comments. As always, we appreciate it when you like comment, share, and subscribe. Make sure you hit that subscription button so that you can be notified when we have new content coming out. Also, for those of you that use Facebook, we have a group on Facebook called the Geeking Squad group, where we talk about Outer Limits and all this other kind of geeky stuff. We'll talk about it all day long. We love it, and we hope to see you there. We will be back soon with more Outer Limits reviews, as well as all sorts of other cool stuff. So please check back soon, and until then, take care, everybody. See you later. We now return control of your screen to you until the next episode when Geeking Poetic will bring you more of The Outer Limits. Please subscribe.